Hey, Dylan Kelly here, host of the Wave Break Podcast. Excited to get into this episode, but first, here's a quick word from our sponsor. Are you looking for ways to incorporate SMS and MMS into your marketing strategy? Add marketing text to current campaigns. With widely successful transaction rates up to 481% higher, birthday offers are a good place to start. Send customers a birthday offer to the channel that's almost always at hand, the mobile device. If they don't make a purchase, send a follow-up text in two days so your message doesn't get overlooked. Get more campaign ideas and see how AI-powered marketing automation is changing e-commerce. Learn more at bloomreach.com slash waybreak. This episode of the Waybreak Podcast is brought to you by Clavio, the growth marketing platform most recommended by other business leaders. Listen, in uncertain times, you need to be supporting your community and growing relationships with your customers. It's going to be appreciated. It's going to be remembered. It's going to be shared. And in good times and bad, this type of communication that's open and empathetic with your customers is key. This is a key theme that we've been talking about at Waybreak. I've been preaching this on the podcast And when you're communicating with your customers in this way, the best way to do this is with email. It is and always will be one of the best channels for delivering communication like this. And what I love about Klaviyo is that email is one of its core offerings. And their personalization that you can do inside Klaviyo is just, it can't be beat. And when you leverage that personalization driven by a 360 degree view of the customer, these emails are going to feel more relevant and they're going to drive even stronger relationships. And Klaviyo gets it. They're not just, you know, some company. They understand how challenging it is right now for every entrepreneur. You know, it was hard to get your business off the ground and navigating these times is even harder. And if you're feeling overwhelmed with growing your business, know that you're not alone. Clavio is here to help you build relationships across any distance for your brand and create memorable and meaningful email marketing moments that last a lifetime. And that's how you build a successful e-commerce brand. And this is why I love Klaviyo so much, because they're on the same page with me and Waybreak. Is like, we're not just about making more revenue. That's great. But what this is really about is an opportunity to create an amazing community with your customers. And the best way to do it is with email. And if you're not on Klaviyo, you got to get on Klaviyo. Visit Klaviyo.com to schedule a free trial. That's K L A V. IYO.com. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Wave Break Podcast, e-commerce leaders. I'm your host, Dylan Kelly, founder and CEO at Wavebreak, a leading email and CRM agency working with brands like Nutrafol, Curology, and more to help them maximize revenue from channels like email and SMS marketing. It's that time of year when Q4 is going to be here before you know it. So reach out to us if you're interested in partnering with Wavebreak ahead of Q4 to optimize your program in advance of Black Friday, Cyber Monday, as well as during the most important time of the year. If you want to learn more about partnering with us, please visit wavebreak.co and schedule a call there. Link will be down in the show notes below. Today on the show, I'm joined by Henry Murray, who is the co-founder, CMO, and GM of the U.S. market at Waterdrop. We chat about the brand's rapid growth, how they started and expanded a global brand from nothing and just an idea to a global brand that has been growing rapidly in a very short time. So without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Henry, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Dylan, for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to to chat. Waterdrop has been growing really fast, so I'm excited to unpack that. But before we go there... Get us up to speed. Like, what's your background? How did you end up co-founding Waterdrop? Let's start there. 
So it's a bit of a story. Waterdrop was uh, started around almost seven years ago. Uh, started with a very simple idea from my brother Martin. He was very frustrated with the beverage industry because what it's been doing has been putting sugary drinks and plastic bottles for decades. Uh, we all know who we're talking about. And we thought there must be a better way in doing that. Why can you not turn around the market, use water as a platform because it's usually available um, filtered or from the tap and it doesn't make any sense shipping around all these bottles so turn it around make water the platform and 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 just bring the essence and that's what we did with developing water drop marching quit his job at the, the boston consulting group found christoph our co-founder um, i later quit my job also from the boston consulting group and we said we have a real shot at this let's give it a go and Product was developed, first prototype. We went out there and and started out and, and, and never looked back from, from that day. That's awesome. And what time is this? Like what year did you have the initial idea for the brand with your brother? And then at what point did the brand actually launch? So the first ideation phase actually was 2015. That was around the time when Martin was doing his MBA in Singapore, actually. And the uh, Eureka moment came actually in a plane from Singapore to Hong Kong when 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 you get served like these cans of beverages and, and like just like I don't know pre-filled stuff and you say like hey wait this is not right like is there not something better and and from there on you know started researching what is there there's effervescent tablets uh, they came out with these liquid water enhancers but still not a great UX uh, powder solutions but you have to stir and shake so nothing really that met all the criteria of having something simple user friendly and also you know that promotes a, a, a certain lifestyle that is um, aspirational from then it went into product development the first real product was finished in, in 2016 and we actually launched in D2C as a small web shop back in Austria and Europe where the company started on January 13, 2017. That was the first day we had a sale online. We opened the web shop. We thought, uh, okay, we have developed the product. The site is live. We're done. Now the sales will come in. (laughs) And uh, yeah, we got one sale or two, but that was it. So we figured we had to do something and started with, with all the marketing back then. Oh, wow. Yeah. In January 2017. That's actually, I, I want to say when I, when I launched this podcast too. I'm not 100% sure. It's been a while. So I might be a year off. But yeah, that's, that's really exciting. And then like, how did you guys initially develop the product? So you were both at Boston Consulting Group. You know, I imagine that was more focused on like the just like general consulting. Like, did you have experience with any manufacturing previously? Like, how did you go about getting the product actually developed initially? Yeah, not, not in the, I mean, management consulting is is great. Teaches you a lot of tools, skill set, but it's also very you know it's very broad, and it 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 won't teach you how to like develop technically develop a product. You would have to be in a very specialized industry for for doing that. We did back then was well, Martin started out with like going to trade shows, meeting experts, talking to suppliers, and. And we actually found this one supplier who said, hey, look, I could develop the formulation and I'm interested in it. And I don't only want to like produce it, I, I'd also be willing to invest in the company. So our supplier became one of the first investors and, and, and co-developed the, 
formulation and they're professionals. They were like a longstanding um, company with found expertise in, in natural extracts and aromas and, and, and all of that. And like really, really helpful, really strong. And putting that together with the right set of suppliers and, and, and finding them was actually a big challenge because, you know, we were nobody and we were talking to these big production companies with a lot of risk because there was R&D in it. And um, that was actually a big challenge. Getting somebody to develop a product from scratch with you is, is, isn't that easy if you're not flashing around a lot of cash or something like that, which we didn't have at the time. Yeah, totally. And then for them to then be like, oh, we love this product. We want to even invest in it. I mean, that's huge. And then what were you thinking early on? Were you like, oh, that's really validating that our supplier even wants to like help invest in this? Or like, what was what were the initial thoughts around that? Of course, that that was that's super validating. That's a, that's a great ask, I would say. But really, at the end of the day, it's just like, what do consumers think? And so the goal was really to go out with the product as fast as possible to consumers. Our main goal was get this prototype, get the first product, get the first product, um, so we can actually prove what we're what we're talking about and that's what we did and there were a few other angel investors at the beginning supporting along the way and and that's how it all started kind of coming together all right so you got the product you have that initial website you're expecting a ton of sales to come in you get one and two then how did you go from there you said you had to figure out marketing where did you and, and at that point you said you were also just selling in austria and europe yeah, yeah, we just started in, we, we were in Vienna, we started the web shop there and we thought like, okay, web shop is live, let the sales come in, you know, <laughs> let's just <laughs> uh, make a buzz on, on our social media and like people start ordering and they'll bring in friends and all of that stuff. And we, we we did that, but we then realized, you know, this is not the way to scale. So, and, and, and people don't know the product, very skeptical about the brand, the concept that we promised. So there were two things actually we did. The first thing, we started running a, pop-up shop in in vienna and we found a a really nice location uh, on one of the busiest streets and we uh, set up shop we built it overnight really and uh, we made people try the product and sample the product and people experienced and that was actually the beginning of us becoming a multi-channel company because we never stopped from there with our retail locations by the way now we have like around 40 of them and um that really gave us a boost, especially in the Vienna market. The second thing we did is we, over time, we figured out how to scale paid social. And we were at a time in 2017 where it wasn't, it wasn't like early. It was already at the, it was pretty much at the, the peak, I would say, where you could really scale in, in, in paid social on, on Facebook, especially, and then Instagram ads. A bit early would have been even better um, because later and now, and, and probably we couldn't start water drop the same way, like with that channel, because it's just too expensive and customer acquisition costs have been like going through the roof in, in many different industries and it's very hard. And um, so back then it was easier. We were able to scale. We were very good at it. We brought in some people who were very skilled and we had like one important move. You know, we started with the product or little hydration cubes um, that you drop into water to give them taste and, Nobody understood what it is. You didn't really get it from the packaging. So we introduced bottles and we introduced drinkware to our portfolio very early on. And the drinkware actually was one of the tricks that people now suddenly understood in the ad that this is a beverage we're talking about. So we were now suddenly selling sets online, a drinking bottle 
with the hydration cubes and people now understood like, okay, uh, I get it. And it actually helped conversion massively because you would say, I understand what a nice drinking bottle is. I buy that. I'll get that and I'll try the product. So we kind of took away the fear from the people. So they make a good first purchase regardless. And that really helped us. And we did that for quite a long time. So 2017, 2018, 2019, still today, it's like an important channel for us. But we were really able to scale that, you know, starting off with a few hundred dollars and then a thousand dollars and then like spending big money also on these platforms. Wow. Yeah. And that's really interesting. I was actually going to ask about that because it is like you have the starter set that includes the drinking bottle and the product yeah. itself. And that's really interesting that like that helped people make the mental connection and then be less like less confused about trying it. Um, that's really fascinating. In terms of like growing from there, at what point did you think about continuing to expand into different countries and different platforms? Like, was it always like when you started on paid social, like, did you see in the beginning that the prices were already going up and so you wanted to diversify or what, what did it look like in terms of continuing to scale the marketing after you kind of cracked paid social initially? So we did focus a lot on paid social, which I think is the right thing to do. You know, once you find your channel of traction, you should really double down on it and, and not try to do everything at the same time. We did, however, over time, then we, we scaled really fast from Austria to Germany. That was just a very natural thing. It was, it was basically live at the same time, but it, it took us some time so we could actually supply to and like send out to the German market. German market is 10 times as large as the Austrian market. And we then had an interesting point in 2018 when we, uh, we went on the, the equivalent of Shark Tank in, in, in Germany. And we were probably one of the most successful deals that ever came to that show in terms of like sales and in terms of um, the investment we got in the show. So we really got a massive push on national TV in, in Germany. We're like millions of people watching. We got 20, 30,000 orders within days, you know, of, of, of that show. And it was actually massive for us back then. And, and, and that we, we, we suddenly jumped a few million in sales just in that year. And we went from $700,000 to like 5 million in year two. So that felt like hyper growth to us. And it, it really opened a new way because we now had this national brand awareness to a certain degree. And we also at that point moved into retail. So we, once we knew we would be in that show, we knew we would be ready for, for going into retail because that's what kind of brands can do at that point. And we, we scaled through one of the largest German retailers and also in Austria. And, and, and suddenly we were out there and we were on the shelf with the, with the product and it worked. And we, we did more of it. And today we're in more than 20,000 20, doors at this point. Wow. Yeah, that's really exciting. I mean, that's that's a lot of rapid growth considering, you know, just not too long before that, you were putting the website up and just hoping people would buy. And then not so, too long later, doing over 5 million per year. Um, and then at what point did the US come into the equation and like that market? The, the whole brand and the brand story is, is 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 really tackling a global topic obesity sugar plastic is too much dehydration and, and and people living more healthier more sustainable life and drink by also drinking more water 
is a global theme. And that's how we set it up. And that's what was ambition right from the start. That's the reason why we called it Water Drop with a very global and, you know, generic name um, in that sense. So people could recognize that that everywhere. We were never designed to be like an Austrian brand in that market. So it was always clear that we will eventually be in the US and, and, and come here to the largest consumer market, which where we want to make a difference. But we needed a lot of time in order to get that right. We needed to scale production. We needed to make the brand right. We made the infrastructure right. We made the marketing strategy. We needed the product like at the level that is actually good. And the product we launched was definitely not good. And you know, we always follow that quote. I think is Reed Hoffman or something. You said like if you if you're not embarrassed by the first product you've launched and you've launched too late, uh, we definitely were embarrassed by the first product we launched. It wasn't that good. Um, but we were super proud at the time. Uh, long story short, as from, I think, 2019, 2020, we started like with the early preparations, starting thinking about formulations, FDA regulations, and then in 2021, really got serious and, and we made sure we're ready. We can actually import the product. We started looking for uh, warehouses. Uh, we looked for locations. And, and, and we then in 2021, set in florida which you know there was it was covid uh except for in florida i think there was no covid here and, and and everybody was in miami so we said it's a it's actually a good place for us to to start water drop and uh, we, we we came here we opened the same strategy we opened a pop-up shop on lincoln road and put up our website and and, and really started understanding the consumers the focus groups positioning messaging we realized our drinkware is way too small you know what's considered a, a big bottle in europe is considered a tiny bottle here and and and, and then we started scaling through paid social through brand activation through influence marketing and and, and really got it going over here this episode of Leading Brands is brought to you by AdNaboo, the only app you need for advertising your Shopify store. If you are looking for affordable ways to reach new customers, AdNaboo could be the solution. AdNaboo offers the convenience of managing shopping ads across various online platforms like Google Shopping, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and more with a single app. What sets AdNaboo apart? It's innovative AI technology. It optimizes your product listings to generate more sales for your store. Powered by the same language models fueling ChatGPT, its AI tech generates the most effective strategy for each marketplace in real time, saving merchants like you the hassle of hiring experts and giving you more time to focus on growing your business. I highly recommend you reach out and schedule a demo because it could take work off your plate while growing your sales. And as a listener of Leading Brands, you can enjoy an exclusive offer of 20% off all paid plans with the coupon code LEADINGBRANDS20. To learn more about how Adnaboo can work for your brand and to get this offer, visit adnaboo.com. That's A-D-N-A-B-U.com. Link down in the show notes below, adnaboo.com slash leading brands. Like I said, it will be linked down in the show notes below. Highly recommend you check out Adnaboo and see what it can do for your business. That's really interesting about like the water bottle and everything. How does, I'm curious, like, how did this marketing strategy differ when you came to launch in the US market? So it's like similar in the sense that you're launching with the pop-up and paid social. Like what were some of the same things and then what were some of the different things? Like did you launch with the same obviously you had the water bottle, you made it bigger. Um like did you take your successful marketing angles from your previous experience and then see all those here or did you completely change them? 
Um, sorry, that's like three questions. <laughs> I guess biggest question, just no, like just what was the same and what was different? So we, we of course had an advantage because we had tested like many different things by that point. Uh, so we were very clear and we've been, we, we had launched in the UK at, at that time already. So we had, not that that's a very similar market, but when it comes to influencer marketing, briefings and making sure we have the right measurability and all that, we had a lot of things in our playbook and we had a lot of things that we could replicate really fast but we had to adapt a lot of the messaging because it's way more it's it, we, we realized it's way more functional value for money highlighting the product benefits like getting s- straight to the point making sure we we so we had to like rewrite all the copy all the all the assets it was, it was very different usually and we we realized what, like, like what works well in the us actually also works well then in europe but the other way around not so much in in in, in some regards oh interesting and, and, and what um, are some of those different right. angles? I'm just curious. Yeah, sorry for interrupting. Oh, I'm right. just curious, like what the main differences are that work here versus there. One example would be that in Europe, we did a lot of acquisition through the lifestyle and the brand and the, the, the beauty of, of the bottle and, and the lifestyle he adds. And, and, and here it was really about what is this product? What what's the vitamin content of each cube? What does it do for me? How much electrolytes do I get? How many should I drink? Is it sugar free? And like, okay, you know, like it was it was less fluffy. It was more like straight to the benefits because I I think that's just a function of that. There's just so much out there on the market, and consumers are really educated in the space in the U.S. because there's just a lot of brands and a lot of products and a lot of niches with like things and it's constantly evolving. So there's not so much innovation coming from Europe in in the consumer space. To be completely honest, so we were like new and alone and and revolutioning the space for a long time. There probably still, you know, there are a few brands that that, that followed. But in the US, it, it's different. So we we sense that consumers who like are interested in our product were way more educated, asking also different type of questions when it comes to the products. Because I think it's a it's a function of the supply of different offers on on the market, which I think is a great thing. Yeah, we've been marketed so much that uh, <laughs> we know what the the trend of the week is like it used to be no sugar and then it was stevia and that then it's like sugar's making you come back and then you have salt and it's like we're just like so deep into it um exactly. i was hearing a joke the other day it's like you can tell somebody um you know xyz product does y and as long as it's like a new thing that people weren't really familiar with like they'll at least believe it initially but i find that really fascinating that like the u.s market was more focused on the facts and less about the brand and the lifestyle and like the beauty of the product I mean, I'm sure it's like you know, table it's stakes. Black. It's not. It's it, yeah. It's not right. black and white. You know, no, like. But it's just is... interesting to hear the difference because you don't get to talk to a lot of people with that. But yeah, to your point, it's not black and white. Sorry, continue. Yeah, yeah. And, and 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 sorry, like you know, when it comes to branding and and brand story, there there's no market where where brands do it as well as in the U.S. So, but that's a given. If you want to be successful, you know, you need that. You need to you need to have your brand story. You need to be like up there and and. Like and the level is so high, so so that's something that you know that is really important to us. The biggest asset of Waterdrop is the brand. I would just say in, in that regard, we were—I don't want to say surprised, but we were just fascinated by how educated consumers were in the space in the U.S. 
when it comes to the product, the benefits, the competition, like uh, we just realized it. It's and 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 we thought it was very good and very refreshing, and we learned a lot from our consumers because that's our greatest strength. Because we have this hydration tracking app where we have hundreds of thousands of people, you know, tracking what they drink, when they drink, helping them hydrate more. But we also get insights on 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 we understand better how we can serve their need needs better, and and that's what we do, and that's how we kind of we see ourselves as a uh, also like a tech and data company um, that is in the beverage space because we think of it like a, a tech company sense of we're always iterating, we're always improving, we're always going for the next version. We're not like a classic product that's out there, has one branding and for 30 years is doing the same thing and it's trying to sell it. Like these, these times are over, I think. Yeah, or even like 200 years, depending yeah. on the product. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's really interesting. And then when you started to scale in the US market, like how does your CAC compare internationally? Like is it pretty like standard across the board? Are there any countries where it's like you're more efficient in your marketing? I would say I mean CACs have all steadily upwards in, in all markets. I would say like just an, as a general trend, just through rising CPMs, that's no surprise, but your online CACs also decrease at some point once your brand awareness goes up in the market. Like in Germany, where we had this national boost on, 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 on TV, it was easier to acquire customers because they already had a touch point. Um, once we're out there in retail and we're in thousands of stores, it's also easier to, to get that down again. The US has been higher, um, a higher CAC definitely compared to Europe, but interestingly, or maybe not interestingly, um, U.S. also spends more on the first purchase. So our average basket size is just higher in the U.S. than it is in, 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 in Europe. So that kind of then levels out again to a certain degree. People are just, I don't know, I would say consumers are often more willing. A, a, a German consumer would like opt in for the, 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 the smallest taster pack we'd have like just generally speaking, and get that deal, try it, be convinced, and then become a loyal customer. US consumers will realize, you know, they're 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 willing to take the risk on like a new product and say, like, okay, I'll give this a shot. I'll go for like the value pack um and, and see if I like it, you know. And um, that that's actually refreshing. But I think that's just uh that's reflected in CACs and that's also then reflected in AOVs. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. Thanks for sharing that. And then I know something that you're passionate about is that paid social is not the end-all, be-all channel. So I want to also touch on other channels, like outside of paid social, how did you continue to expand the marketing mix? We usually um, start with paid social because it's just the fastest way to test and to scale and to understand your consumers and, and really see what's resonating. It's a good proxy of uh, what, what works in, in, in the country. However, it has its limitations. Um, and besides like paid social, we really started, we, we usually also very early on start with ambassadors and influencers, and we run a very extensive influencer program and have a lot of people promoting the brand, integrating it into their daily life and, and tapping into their communities. Um, we started off with a lot of, I would say that the, the third group was very female at the beginning. We had a lot of designs that, that, that resonated well in that target group. And, and now it's becoming more 
unisex as we we kind of also launched an electrolyte line and, and, and a more sporty angle which is appealing more to to men also so it's becoming like a very holistic brand with a lot of different subcategories which makes it complex at some point but also very interesting to to explore and discover um, and over time once we hit a, a certain brand awareness in that market we're usually ready for entering retail and that's what we did back then in germany or when we went to france and once we enter the offline sales channels is usually the time when we expand the marketing mix to broader channels such as tv um, out of home even radio uh, we do where we actually push like multi-channel awareness and that's what we have been doing like in the core markets what we're also now doing in the us we launched at walmart and target and running media campaigns around that in, in, in certain states and also national and what we also introduced recently is a completely new angle that we've been now doing for one and a half years is, is really sports marketing and, and endorsements and, and sponsorings and we believe it's a beautiful platform um, to like be associated with a healthy lifestyle and athletes out there and, and what we did is we ventured into skiing which is uh, like the sport of our nation in, in austria and also tennis tennis because there's no other sport where hydration is as prominent people sit on the bench and they're just drinking they're just drinking and drinking and drinking so we wanted to own that moment uh, we became the official hydration partner of the atp so the tennis organization for for, for the male tour um and we 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 brought in some players. We we work with Taylor Fritz, for instance, in the US, who's our ambassador, and uh we attention of Novak Djokovic, who's uh, you know one of the greats out there currently competing for uh the Grand Slam. We we actually you know brought him in as a as a shareholder. He said, like, this is great, I want to be part of it. And now he's a shareholder and ambassador. And he's, he's, he's playing with our, with water drop on his sleeve, which is incredible. And you will see us at tennis tournaments with like benches out there, which have an integrated hydration station and sustainable bottles. So tennis has this issue that there's a lot of plastic bottles all over the place. We said, let's get rid of all the single use plastic bottles in tennis, use sustainable bottles and make sure people refill their bottle. And uh, that's what we're doing. So we're, we're really like, tying it closely to our mission and it's working really well and why that is interesting and why it is a great it's it's not really something you can measure right away and it's very hard for us to come from that because we come from performance marketing so every dollar we spend we want to see coming back but with that you just have to have faith and you have to like it's a long-term play and it, it really helps building trust brand awareness and um, over time Additionally, one more channel, I mentioned two more is our stores. So the stores we build are really like center points for activation, for experience, for, for trust building. We're building a flagship store now in the Mall of Americas, which is going to be awesome. And it's really like there to create content, bring in people and obviously do some sales, but um, it has a bigger purpose. And, and then we have a whole activation teams out there on festivals, sampling the product. People want to try it, being out there at events, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and that's, you know the full spiel that we can we 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 do in order to get people associated and, and connected to the brand and start loving it and building this community and people really center around that and that's why we have this big focus on communities with hundreds a hundred thousand people like just in facebook groups talking about water drop every day and staying hydrated this episode is brought to you by tidio the highest rated customer experience software on shopify 
Tidio is the first software that enables small and medium-sized e-commerce brands to solve customer problems with a conversational AI chatbot called Lyro. Lyro uses technology similar to ChatGDP to answer four out of five customer questions, freeing up your support agents to solve complex issues. Lyro delivers personalized support to customers just as a human service agent would. The AI chatbot understands context and remembers previous conversations, answering questions with fluid, natural language. Maximize your support capacity without additional hiring costs. Automate four out of five customer questions with an AI chatbot. Be among the first to use Tidio's new powerful AI solution. Visit tidio.com slash wave and join the Tidio Lyro waitlist today. Link is down in the show notes below. Yeah, that's there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, that's sorry, that's a, sorry, I, I just I just went on there. I'm sorry. No worries. No, you gave a perfect overview of the entire um, of the entire program from end to end. I know we talked a lot about paid social, so I want to break into a few of these as separate topics. Um, yeah. So, like for example, the influencer and ambassador program. Like, what does that look like? You mentioned you're focused more on like even like integrating into someone's life as like a daily product that they use. Like, how do you approach your influencer marketing? So there's a few different levels. There's, there's, first of all, there's obviously we, we try to find partners that are already using the product. You know, they, they like that sometimes how it starts out because they reach out, um, because they, 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 they're, they're drinking it. Usually these are influencers that are not like massive, you know, like somebody with a million followers would not say like, Hey, I'm using Watershop. Can I like do something? Um, that's not how it goes, but, uh, on a smaller scale that, that happens very often. And then, you know, you figure out to, a program where you can connect and make sure that they have like, you know, something to share with their community, be it a discount code, be it some incentive, et cetera. And we, we kind of in the past, we did a lot of performance campaigns where we said like, you know, one time bookings where you like book a story somewhere, but we realized it's better to form like longer term relationships with influencers and make them more of ambassadors for the brand. And it's more authentic and it, it works out better because you, you don't want to be working with somebody who advertises this on the next day and maybe two weeks later for a bottled beverage, which for us would be like heartbreaking because we're like all about getting rid of them. But if you don't have a long-term partnership with someone believing in the brand, then that's just how, how, how it can go. So, so we're really keen on that and we're very diligent with a team, people that are, you know, working hard on that, Bettina, Kathleen, et cetera, and, and like really making sure we're, we're doing the and then how does that work? That person then you, you sign, is it almost like an endorsement deal would be where it's like a long-term agreement and then they're uh, asked to post a certain number of times and refrain from working with competitive products? Yeah. We, we're Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, we need to make sure that there's like, we have a very strict grid where we would assess if somebody fits the brand, um, fits product. So, so first of all, we go through that and then we figure out schedule which makes sense it could be like starting off with something smaller short term and, and then doing something more longer term yeah you're right there are probably a certain number of posts that would have to be like in there in that partnership and ideally you have it over a time span of several months or a year and um, you mix it between like more campaign driven posts and then also more organic things that were where would be like more integrated and we like for some things, there's like dedicated briefings. If we want to talk about like a new product and it's something very specific, we want to like make sure people are aware of. And the other thing is just also just, you know, go with the flow of that person because that's why we, we 
we teamed up with them in order to be part of their lives. And and, and usually these these creators are like awesome and also creating content we could have never thought of, you know. And, and then we start also bringing that content in to to highlight and showcase that on the brand's channel. So if you would go to our Instagram, you would see a lot of content that has been like generated by partners and creators and influencers, ambassadors, which we would have never been able to do. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thanks for breaking that down further. Another channel that I want to touch on is radio, for example. Mm -hmm. So what does a radio ad look like? Like what kind of, because like I'm imagining most people are driving, but this is a channel that you've mentioned. I think I've seen it mentioned in like other interviews as well. How do you approach radio advertising? So I'm a bit biased because I'm very, I love audio. Um, I think it's just so strong if people like hear something because it just cuts through all the noise that you get visually in, in a day is like, can be like really bothering. And, and that's why you get people at the right moment. It can, it can have a really strong effect on you. I would say it's radio, you know, you can split it into, let's say radio and then you have podcasts. Like, the, like in, in, in Europe, we've just, we just went out with a very strong campaign, uh, where we included radio and we, we, we pushed it out and, we, we kind of tied it to the message of the entire campaign. We're all about reducing sugar and plastic. And you, it, it follows the same script as a good ad on paid social in the sense of you need a, you need a hook and then you need to get to the point as fast as possible. And you, you know, you've got to make sure to, to make your point and, and, and it's strong if you do it right. And I think it's not a single use channel. So I would always only use radio. Like if you extending a campaign, so you need stuff around that. You need other. You need people to have a picture in mind when they hear your spot. You can't just scale through radio, so that 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 won't work. Uh, it's very different from paid social or TV or whatever it is. So I would always use it as an increment, like an additional channel to like prolong a campaign, to deepen it, to create another touch point, to really like hammer it in and and, and also surprise people uh, now and then. And then what is the call to action on an ad like that? Are you trying to get them to go into retail, visit the website? How do you get people to try to take action? So it's not like, you know, if you're not going on a podcast and you're Joe Rogan and then you're talking about a brand and then like go to this page and enter this code and get this today. We we, we don't do that because radio like is usually very short. So it's 20 seconds or something. And pushed it to retail and online. So we the call to action is really just now available at this, this, this and waterdrop.com. Sometimes we include like code in order for us to kind of make sure we track. But I think radio is also kind of a um, branding channel to a certain degree. Like if you're really out there in like a city or it, you don't want to like, you don't also want to throw like discount codes around in TV or something like that. So you, it's very different between the, like what you would do in a podcast and what you would do in like classic radio channel. That makes a lot of sense. Um, layering it. And then also like you're saying, not wanting a discount code to be out there. And also people are doing other things while they're listening. So it's not like they're sitting in front of their computer or have their phone up. Well, 
maybe some people do, but probably shouldn't (laughs) while they're listening to the radio. And then in terms of like the sports marketing and endorsements, that's really interesting too. How did the partnership with Djokovic come about? Did he approach you? Did you approach him? Was it mutual? I'm just curious. That's a really big, really big name. And that's awesome to have him join as a shareholder in the company as well, and not just an ambassador. The truth is it's massive. Like Novak is arguably not only best tennis players of all time, he's, he's probably one of the greatest athletes of all time. So like he's, he's up there with like all of these amazing people and great people. And like, there's hardly any people that are more famous in, in the world at this point and have such a strong stance for health, for sustainability, for environment, like him and like a very strong voice, very dedicated. He can be, he can be polarizing, but, um, I think in a, in a, in a good way. And I think it's a wonderful partnership. It's nothing we ever like aim to, to be at at some point. We, we couldn't have dreamed about it, but through our engagement on the ATP tour and in, in tennis, actually, we, we caught the attention of, of the team and, and they saw what we were doing and, um, Eventually, it also caught Novak's attention. Said, "Like that's interesting. You know, can we can we talk?" And, and we thought, "Look, with all due respect, you know, we we it's like I don't think we're in a position to because at that point we were also not talking to to players and we we signed on Taylor Fritz, etc. But we knew that Novak is like out of reach for us in terms of you know these these guys. If you like deals with them, like it's big. We're we're not a big brand, and so we we we, we talked and." Um, it, it ended up in them Novak wanting to be part of the, the story and the company endorsing the mission of drinking more water and, and a healthy lifestyle. And, and that's how it came about. And it all went very fast. Um, within a couple of uh, months, it was it was done. And uh, Novak went out. It was in, I think it was November. In January already, he was out there right before the Australian Open. We got the last minute, we got like... Everything was done in, in, in January and last minute at a print shop. Don't tell them. <laughs> uh, in, in, in Melbourne, we got the shirt somehow already with the water drop logo, the Lacoste shirt, like to have the water drop logo on the sleeve. And he went out on court and suddenly was at the Grand Slam with water drop logo on his sleeve. And it was like an epic moment for us to see that, actually. That's so epic. I'm only imagining like the shop owner being like, you know, probably not even knowing what's going on or not believing you like they're like i don't believe you but okay and you're like make sure it's not crooked make sure it's straight (laughs) Exactly, Um, exactly wow that's an incredible story and then something else that you mentioned that i find really interesting is you talked about like stores are these owned retail stores like your own locations that are like purely water drop products correct so we run three types of stores we run flagship stores which we have just a few of in like key cities and, and, and countries like we have one in vienna we have one in amsterdam we're building one now in the mall of america we have one in cologne and then we have like signature stores which are smaller type of stores like size of an aesop store or something like that like the f- full range of, of, of portfolios there and, and and people can fill up their water bottles for free you know get free water in the store try all the products and and, and then we have like hydration kiosks, um, hydration stations, which you would find in malls all around the world. So we have in total 40 stores, mainly, you know, they're hydration stations. So they're like small units. Think of it as like a bar 
with water station included. Uh, you find us in the middle of the mall and people experience the brand, try it, buy something. Uh, we don't have the full portfolio mostly there because it's like it's 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 quite small, but we have a lot of things to to try and um people love it because we we bring in our communities to the store and we have events there, we have tastings there, we do service there, we learn about the consumers, we use the content, we send influencers there, we have all of that. Um and we're not competing with the third party retails or sometimes third party retailers are like concerned that we're like building our own retail network and we're like, don't worry, we're not building our like we're not trying to compete with third party retail. We're like building strategic locations where we can, you know, get out the brand and actually like acquire new customers and then push them also to the other channels, which are then more say, scalable. That's really interesting. And then in terms of like the own stores for a brand like yourself, like does that end up contributing a lot of revenue or is that mostly like you're focused on just like growing and using it as like a branding and marketing type play? Yeah, it's, it's, it, it is contributing revenue, but it's not strategic in that sense. So it it is really designed to be there for the consumers and getting all these touch points and awareness out. Obviously, they should be also contributing a contribution margin. You know, it's not like it's they're the real businesses. It's it's a sales channel, but um, we don't we don't see us scaling that to a point. We're not an espresso where everything will be done in our own stores. Um, and, and and that's how it is. So we will probably be like around, maybe it's 10%, you know, that they can contribute to, depending on the country where it is. Yeah, that's really interesting. I like that. I like that approach, especially as such like a new brand compared to the other brands that you've mentioned who have their own owned retail stores that are like, you know, many decades old. Um, I think that's, that's really interesting. And um, it's cool that it plays a part in your you know, marketing, building the brand, events, experiences, um, really, 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 really cool. Um, and then in terms of the future, since we're starting to run out of time here, um, and thanks so much for going into detail on, you know, step-by-step of like each aspect of your marketing. It's been really fun talking shop with you. In terms of the future, what are you most excited about? Um, it seems like you guys are headed for, you know, more and more global domination. Well, I think we're far away from dominating anything. You know, we're 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 the David in the industry against the Goliath. Um, we'll not stop until things have things have changed, and that's what I'm looking forward to most. You know, seeing and seeing consumer sentiment changing over time, seeing also big corporation changing their business model over time, and um, I'm excited about that. Um, I'm particularly excited about you know just establishing. The brand, the mission here in the US, I think that's the, the most exciting part of the world where, where we are right now. And um, I'm super confident that we will be able to make a splash here. That's awesome. So for people who are listening to this episode, they've listened to you talk the whole time about, uh, you know, about Waterdrop. They want to go check it out. Where can they learn more? Well, you can go to waterdrop.com and definitely learn more there. You could also visit one of our stores uh, in Miami, and, and we also one in uh, New York. You you find them you find them on the website. We're building the flagship store in Mall of America, Minnesota, which is going to be epic. And um, so we'd love to meet you know you there, and uh, very happy to keep you hydrated when you're here. That's awesome. Yeah, we'll link that up down in the show notes below. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see the Mall of America store 
get launched. And um, yeah, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Thank you, Dylan. It was awesome. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Waybreak Podcast. If you're not subscribed on iTunes or Spotify, go hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on future episodes. And if you're not on our email list, go sign up at wavebreak.co slash join. You'll join other e-commerce leaders at brands like Skims, Cartier, and Walmart, and thousands more learning exactly what's working in e-commerce right now. You won't want to miss it. Sign up at wavebreak.co slash join. It's free. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Waybreak Podcast. I hope you have a wonderful day.